Hello and welcome to The Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Today on the Brain Care Podcast, we have the author of my favorite book that I read last year in 2020, Alex Sujung Kim Pang, who is the author of Rest. Now, before we get into it, I know that he will be able to give a better summary of his own contributions to the world to date than I might do justice. So please, Alex, welcome to the Brain Care Podcast. And in your own words, give our listeners a little taste of who you are. I am the author of now three books about technology, work, and rest, a book about mainly about distraction called The Distraction Addiction, and then Rest, which is about the hidden role of rest in the lives of really creative and prolific people, and most recently, a book called Shorter, which is about how companies are putting the insights of rest into practice in the form of things like four-day work weeks. Now, um, I guess I want to explore the concept, you know, from a sort of backwards angle, which is a lot of our audience are ultimately high achievers, right? So they're self-starters, they're people who optimize for peak performance, they're entrepreneurs, they're CEOs, they're athletes, they're all those types. I want to discuss what you've learned about how to optimize for peak performance. The big thing that I've learned across these books is that our ideas about the relationship between work and time, in particular, the assumption that long hours and overwork are a necessity for success, they're a key to high achievement, turn out to be out of kind of backwards, that particularly for creative fields, it turns out to be essential to have a balance between deep focused intensive time for work and sort of almost equally long periods of what I call deliberate rest, periods where you're doing things often sort of active, engaging things that take your conscious mind off work that allow for mental and physical restoration, but which also give your creative subconscious time to turn over ideas, to play around with concepts, and often to have new insights. And this turns out to be valuable not just for solving whatever problem is immediately before you, but it also encourages people who often are in you know, super competitive fields, people who are working on really big problems, to develop a greater degree of sort of sustainability in their, in their working rhythms and their working lives so that not only are they able to do better work, but they're also able to do that work for more of their lives. So rather than feeling like you have to kind of sacrifice your health and potentially longevity in order to do really good stuff, learning to work in this way to balance work and rest allows you to do both. Now, you've you've mentioned a lot of high level things here. And I guess, you know, people might be thinking, okay, sure, you've mentioned there are some people in history that may have employed this. I probably never heard of them. So Let's talk about, just to give people the, the idea of just how high-performing people who are obsessed over rest really were, who are these people? Give us some examples from history. 
from history, there are examples like uh, Charles Darwin, Ludwig Beethoven, Winston Churchill. There's a little bit about Barack Obama. And then a lot of Nobel Prize winners, famous mathematicians. I was about to say famous mathematicians, but, you know, at least famous among other mathematicians. And then writers like, you know, from Ernest Hemingway to Salman Rushdie to Dilbert creator Scott Adams. So it's a pretty wide range of fields because it's an historical study, because that's where you get really detailed accounts of people's lives and you can see the kind of long arc of the relationship between work and rest. About 75% of the, the people I write about in rest are men. But what that reflects are, you know, not that there's a specifically gendered dimension to this, but rather that it's about who had access to this kind of work and these kinds of lives. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think like one of the most famous stories anyone anyone knows, whether they've read your book or not, about um, people finding inspiration from moments of rest would be, you know, Thomas Edison, who would set up to have his nap and his moment of insight that would come during his nap um, and then drop his ball right on his foot so that he would wake up from his nap at exactly that moment. Really interesting. So I guess the question is, what is the the science of what's going on inside our brains when we rest? Like, how come that's when moments of inspiration and insights hit us? That's a great question. And the answer is one that neuroscientists started unpacking maybe in the 1990s or so, when, when they realized that the resting brain, right, when you put people in an fMRI machine and don't tell them to do a task, but just to kind of relax and let their minds wander, their brains actually didn't get quiet. They didn't get less active. It's just that the kind of patterns connecting the different parts of their brains shifted. And what they discovered was that when you allow yourself to think about nothing at all, or your brain activates what they now call a default mode network, which is a set of connections that literally can activate in the time it takes to blink your eyes. And this is a network that brings together parts of the brain that tend to be associated with creative thinking, with sort of visual thinking, and with sometimes also rumination about the past. Now, it also appears that the default mode network is implicated in those moments when, when we come up with novel solutions to problems or we come up with an answer to questions that we've been trying to solve but we haven't been able to consciously. We have small everyday examples of this all the time, right? You're trying to remember who is the name of the actor who is in that band and in the movie and that other thing and you can't remember. And then five minutes later, you're doing something else. The name pops in your mind. Oh, it was Harry Styles. That is the default mode network working on that problem even while you are folding laundry or doing something else. And what really creative people often do is discover that this is not a process that you can exactly control, but it is something that you can encourage and you can foster. And you do that by layering periods of really deep, focused, intensive work for several hours with periods of deliberate rest. And what that allows is you both get some conscious work done on at the keyboard or the blackboard or whatever, but you often have some kind of some outstanding question, some unsolved problem that you still have to figure out. You get up, you do something else, and that gives your creative subconscious time to continue working on that unsolved problem. And often your creative mind will make progress on this and sometimes come up with the answer. And so 
while highly creative people are using rest for restorative purposes, because of the timing, it also has this kind of creative boost or productive boost as well. And I think this is something that we are seeing not just in people who we would regard as super geniuses, but when I talk to people who run restaurants or other kinds of do other kinds of creative work or work that involves a lot of problem solving, like you know, mechanics and nurses they talk about having somewhat the same kinds of, seeing the same kinds of benefits from their downtime when they move to shorter work weeks. What about inspiration, you know, hitting you in a moment of, frankly, complete impractical irritation, which is the shower? Is that the same thing? Is that the default <laughs> mode network as well? Because every time it happens to me, I'm like, oh, I want my pen on my phone to write this down. But <laughs> <laughs> No, it is. Yes, that's the default mode network sort of operating at a time when your mind is a little more relaxed. You're also generally physically a little bit more relaxed because of, you know, unless I suppose you're taking a super cold shower. And in a way, what you're trying to do when in, when you layer these periods is trying to have that happen, not just in the shower, but in places where you can have pen and paper ready to write down this idea and not have it end up completely soaked. So one of the most practical insights I got after reading Rest, and it's interesting because I do read a lot of this kind of stuff. It was the first time that I heard the impact of napping in a way that made me just suddenly start napping all the time. Not multiple times throughout <laughs> a day, don't worry, but multiple times throughout the week, which is interesting because, you know, I read Why We Sleep, um, which I'm sure most people that have come across your book might have read. I've read multiple books that talk about the benefits of napping. But there was just a way that you told the story. And I certainly don't think it's because I aspire to be Winston Churchill at all. But there was just a way you told the story that really struck a chord. Um, like, how would you synthesize the impact of napping and why we should do it more for listeners? Naps are not just something that you should do, you know, on a little yoga mat at preschool. It's only actually fairly recently that naps fell out of favor among adults. In you know, companies in Asia, for example, it's really in the last 15 or 20 years that the afternoon nap ceased to be an institution that pretty much everybody participated in. The benefits are, first off, that our energy levels rise and fall naturally during the day. We tend to have more energy, higher capacity for attention, maybe a little more willpower in the morning, and then that kind of goes down. It picks back up in the late afternoon and early evening. But there's definitely this trough right after lunch where we are pretty low energy. And so having a nap rather than trying to just power through has the benefit of recharging your alertness a little somewhat more effectively than another cup of coffee at that time of day. And there are people who use it as a kind of space for problem solving. Edison is a famous example. Salvador Dali wrote a really fascinating essay about this where he talked about how most of a painting is finished subconsciously and that you could access the painting in the zone between sleep and awareness. And so he had a whole method for making use of those seconds. I think also that there, there is also some interesting evidence that you can play around with the timing of your nap in order to get a little bit more of a creative boost versus a little bit more physical restoration. Most of us who nap, however, just nap when we're tired. We nap when we feel like we need it. 
And I think that that is, that is entirely a good thing, not only for the immediate benefits, but for also teaching us that even for creative workers, listening to your body is a good thing and will help you be more productive in the short run and help you have a more sustainable career in the long run. Great, thank you. And Alex, I guess to summarize for listeners, what would you say are your top three recommendations for anyone that's looking to hit peak performance in their lives by obviously understanding the importance of rest? You know, I think the first thing is to take rest seriously enough to make time for it in your day. We assume that rest is something that we will, you know, will take when we have time, but the world does not give you time, right? You have to carve it out of your day in order to, to recapture it. I think the second thing is to recognize that, you know, work and rest are not competitors in a good life, but rather are partners, that each one supports and sustains the other, and that the challenge we all have is not to design lives in which we are constantly toiling, but rather to design lives in which we have space for both in ways that reinforce one and best support each other. The third thing I would say is that, especially for super ambitious people who are passionate about their work, who can really get wrapped up in it, that the best kind of rest is actually not just purely passive, but rather involves, you know, like a serious hobby that is as engaging as your work and offers some of the satisfactions without the downsides. Winston Churchill talked about painting as being a great thing for, you know, men of affairs. And it was men, you know, in order of 1918 when he was writing this, because, you know, we normally deal with words and we're talking a lot and painting is completely visual, but it also requires us to marshal some of the same kinds of skills that we use as orators. But the good thing about it is, you're just painting and, you know, the Labour Party isn't standing over your shoulder trying to erase everything you're doing. So it's a lot of the stuff that we like about, about our jobs without the downsides. And people who can find that find that those things are not only terrifically satisfying creatively, but they also help keep them in touch with the things that are best about their work, the things that they love most about it, which I think can build a degree of resilience that, especially in difficult work times, and who doesn't have that right now, can be really valuable. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how well you're feeding your brain, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain food to get your free score from 1 to 100 and start taking action from there. See you next week. Mm-hmm.